Big Buck Registries, Big Buck Podcast, episode number 52, Mark Kenyon and Wired to Hunt. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. This is Jana Waller from Skullbound TV, and you're listening to my favorite podcast on Stitcher, the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. This is your host, Jay Scott, and I am here with my field correspondent and very good friend from Ohio, Dusty Phillips. Dusty, what is happening? Yo, 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 what's going on? Not a whole lot, you know. Uh, Just excited about who's on tonight and and what we got going on for the Big Buck Registry, Big Buck Podcast. I'm wound up. You're wound up. What's going on at Chubby Times right now? You know, it's uh, it's summertime. People's outdoors. They're just hanging out with the family, so things are a little bit slow. But that's okay. What's to come in the fall is going to get everything back in the saddle of Chubby Times Outdoors. You know, hunting season is almost upon us. What's it like hunting in Ohio for you? I mean, would you know any different from hunting somewhere else? Yeah, hunting in Ohio is like... Uh, well, it's hard to explain because you're you're there. Yeah, right? it really you is. You grew up there. That's like your thing. It's just you know what it is. And that's Absolutely. It. But, you know, I, I kind of compare it to like going to uh, Chuck E. Cheese for a little kid. Hmm. It's uh, it's exciting. There's potential for a monster to come out of your tree stand. The terrain is great for mega giant whitetails. And, you know, the crops are here. It just they eat soybeans and corn all, all spring, summer, and into the early fall. Yeah. You know, right now we're seeing some nice bucks on trail camera with, you know, some velvet racks. And they're starting to get out a little bit beyond their ears. And you're starting to almost be able to tell what bucks what. And it just is starting to happen. You know, you can feel it in the air. Do you listen to other podcasts other than the Big Buck podcast? Yeah, but it's tough. It's really, 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 really tough to listen to other people. Because, you know, the Big Buck Grocery Big Buck podcast is rocking the house. I do like our show, I admit. Um, I, I, I love our show. I do, too. And I like the content, and I, I like uh, the people we have on because they're so knowledgeable. Right. You know, I, I tell you probably the, the best thing that I like about it is the people that listen and join us every every week, weekly. Right. That's what I love about the show. You know, it, it's not just about us. That's not what we're saying. Yeah. We're doing this for you, the person listening right now. And, well, I'm doing it for me, too, because I like to talk to other people about deer hunting that know a heck of a lot more than I do, which right, is, yeah. you know, you you know more about deer hunting, big deer, than I do, that's for sure. So you're saying you're the best deer hunter in America. Is that what you're saying? You know, in my in my own mind, yes. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, yeah, I'm, I'm just an average, hardworking American like anybody else that listens to the show, and I, I hunt a lot, yeah. you know. I hunt because being in the woods educates me for being on this podcast. Although I like ours, and I like ours very much, and I do enjoy re-listening to the show when it launches, it's not the only one out there. There are many others. Actually, right, yeah. I can't say that. There are not many others. There are a few others. And every now and then, I like to have one of those people, one of those hosts on our show, 
because they're doing something similar. And let's face it, we're a small group of people that are talking about hunting, and there aren't that many of us hunting podcasters out there. Right, but you know, it seems like every time we run into a hunting podcaster, they're, they're awesome. You know, just like us, they're awesome people, mm-hmm. and they're they're a rolodex of information, just like we are. One of the things, or one of the other podcasts that I've been listening to because it really caught my attention is the Wired to Hunt podcast. Have you heard of it, Dusty? Absolutely. You know, great podcast and, and great content. They're headed in the right direction. Right. You know, it's, it's another one that you should check out. Give them a review. No different than us. We need your reviews just because just we like to hear what, what you have to say about the show, good or bad. And give us a review. You know, give us a star rating. And we're shooting for five stars because we're trying to put out the best content that's possible. And, uh, you know. You know, we got a four star the other day. I think that it makes, was a mistake. Yeah, but that makes us work harder for what we do. Yeah, yeah. We don't want it. We don't want it given to us. We want to earn it. Right. Um, well, Mark Kenyon over at the Wired to Hunt podcast is uh, another whitetail addict, like we are, and he's doing some pretty cool stuff. He he actually made it in the top three hundred, and he was in the new and noteworthy section on iTunes almost immediately, and he's been pretty much in the top three hundred ever since, and. As a podcaster and as other podcasters have noticed that, well, Mark's doing something really right. A, he's interviewing good people with good insights into things that can help his community, like we try to do here. Um, But he's also staying in the ranks and just doing a great job. And I find it extremely interesting listening to his his show. And uh, we get to hear his whole story all the way from college through Google and back to Michigan, and he's going to share with us not only some tips about hunting, and he's a great storyteller, to be honest. I mean, yeah, I'm not going it, to ruin it for the listener, but you guys, you got to check this out. It's a great story. Um, it, it, it took me to uh, another place. Yes, yes. It, it broadened my story listening and joining in on the story abilities. Yes. Step by step, as though you're a fly on a tree, watching the whole thing unfold. Um, that, that's that's cool. That is it. That is how I would describe Mark's ability to tell a story about deer hunting, and and then um, on top of that, he shares some tips and tricks about the podcasting thing. So if yeah, you're, absolutely. If you're an, if you want to become an outdoor podcaster, or if you are an outdoor podcaster, and you want to find out how Mark's setting it up. He, he talks about that too. So, right. You know, and I, I want to encourage you if you're, if you've thought about doing it and, you, and you're thinking right now that you want to do it, go do it. It's the coolest thing you've ever done. Yes. To have it's, your own radio show, it's pretty much it, the coolest thing on the planet. It is. It absolutely is. You know, uh, whitetail hunting's great. I love it. I thoroughly enjoy it. But now that this podcast has come about and is we've been on it uh, over a year now and things are starting to unravel for us and everything's looking great, I love podcasting. I love podcasting too. So we've got the perfect combination tonight is Mark Kenyon, Wired to Hunt, talking podcasting and talking hunting. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and we thank you for tuning in with us and, and get ready for a great show. Let's get Mark on the line. Let's do it. Mark Kenyon, welcome to the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. Hey, thanks so much. I'm excited to be here. Hey, we're psyched too, man. It's uh, it's nice to have a fellow podcaster aboard. Yeah. And, you know, it's uh, not every day we get to talk to a podcaster. You guys understand what we understand. This is true. I can't say I understand much, but I got this, I guess. <laughs> well, I, I don't I don't claim to understand a whole lot either. Um, so we're, we're, we're in, in the same company. It's just nice to know that, A, you're doing something about hunting and you're doing something about podcasting, which is what we're all about too. Yeah, that's the life, right? It is. Let's talk about you a little bit, Mark. Sure. 
Where are you from? I am from the west side of Michigan, and I now reside down right the southern border of the state. Gotcha. And did you grow up there, or is this a place you relocated to? Yeah, I grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is not too far from Lake Michigan, over on the western side of the state. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I spent some time in New York City, spent some time in San Francisco, spent some time um, during college in Lansing at Michigan State University. Oh, wow. And okay. Then, and then I finally, well, I worked in Ann Arbor, which is on the east side of the state, and then finally settled down here where the big bucks grow. So it's been kind of all over the place. Interesting. So you, yeah, you kind of bounced east coast, west coast, and then ended up back where you started. Yeah, yeah, kind of all over. But um, my journey took me to a, a spot that I'm, I'm very happy with, so I awesome. can't complain. And what were you doing in New York? I uh, That was during college, okay. and I was actually on an internship with an advertising and marketing agency. Oh, cool. Excellent. And then where did you go to college? I went to school at Michigan State University. Okay. So was there for four years. And then uh, during one of those summers was in New York. And then after college, I got sent out to San Francisco for my first big boy job. All right. What was your first big boy job? Big boy job. I like that. (laughs) Your first paying job. Yeah. The first first real job was with Google, actually. So I was out there working at their headquarters um, just south of San Francisco. Now, Google. um, I've never heard of Google. What is that all about? It's a little a little side project that some folks are working on online. I don't know. You can go there and search for things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they should really expand upon that because I think that could be a very useful tool in today's society. It seems Absolutely. like a good idea. Seems like a good idea, but their marketing must be horrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they really got to get the word out a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, that's cool. So Google, huh? So what? Yeah. Uh, how'd you land a job at Google? Well, kind of a long story, but um, I was a marketing major at Michigan State. So advertising, marketing, social media, all that kind of stuff was what I was into. And like I said, uh, after my junior year, I was in New York City working for an ad agency. Yeah. And then after that, I knew I wanted to take one of two routes, either was going to work in the ad digital media type space, or I was going to find a way to work in the hunting industry. And just kind of through chance, I found out that Google was recruiting on campus and I kind of did some networking, tried to meet some people, tried to chat with some folks. And, you know, through a, a variety of different things like that, I got an interview and kind of the rest was history. It worked out. Okay. So you must be a smart guy too, because they only hire smart people. No, I like to think that I, I just slipped through the cracks. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. So you worked at Google for a while and you were doing marketing type stuff for them? Yeah, I basically helped uh, big retailers develop their online marketing strategies using Google products like AdWords, which is like what you see, the ads you see on search engines or YouTube or display ads, all that kind of stuff. Gotcha. And how much of of what you learned there do you use in today's world? I think I use a good bit. Um, It definitely set me up with a good background. Um, You know, I was always interested in in the online stuff. So that was, you know, what I always kind of read about and and tried to study, you know, through high school and college and everything. But the experience I got working with clients and and the business side really helped me understand what it takes to make a a business and then what it takes to translate that into success online. So it definitely gave me a strong foundation for success. And uh, I I can never complain about what I got to do there. Put me in a good place. It seems like it'd give you a heck of a good education and foundation, um, not only to bring your skills to them, but you probably learned a heck of a lot too. Yeah, no, absolutely. And at the same time, I also learned what I didn't want to do. And so it, good it, point. it was a great good experience point. and then it, it pointed me in the direction where I am now and that I'm very, very happy with. I'm going to throw this out there. Perhaps the reason that you didn't stay with Google is because none of those computer guys wanted to go hunting with you. 
<laughs> I could go on for days about the interesting people I met and uh, how very different I am than most of the people I worked with. <laughs> I, <laughs> I knew was, it. Uh, I knew it. <laughs> I, was, I was definitely one of a kind. Um, when I was out there in San Francisco at the headquarters, it was really kind of out there. People had no idea what I did. Um, and there were actually a lot of people that were kind of fascinated with it and just would ask me all sorts of different questions. And uh, I actually, this is kind of going off on a tangent, but it's kind of a funny story. That's cool. I like to think I'm a decent storyteller. And so we were at this little potluck thing with a bunch of different people that I was working with. We'd all started working at Google at the same time. And we were at someone's apartment. Everyone kind of brought a passing dish and we're sitting there eating. And I think we were just sitting in the living room at that time, kind of BSing and hanging out. And someone asked me something about hunting. And like I said, they were always kind of fascinated with this crazy thing I did and this guy who liked to be out in the woods and, you know, wasn't scared of the dark. And they wanted to hear a hunting story. So, so, so I tell them, okay. Yeah. So I tell them, all right, I'm, I got in a a lot of detail. I I won't give you guys the whole spiel here, but I made a really long story of this talking about this morning. I climbed, you know, walked through the woods for an hour and a half, trekking through hills and swamps and finally got to my tree stand. I climbed up, step by step, got up there and the wind was blowing. There was a north breeze. It was 22 degrees, et cetera, et cetera. And talked about how this deer was coming in a great big buck. And as he started coming my way, I grabbed for my bow and I knocked it off of the hanger. So I had no bow and arrow, but this deer was walking right towards me. And of course, my heart's beating a million miles a minute. I've got sweat kind of dripping down my brow. I don't know what to do. And then all of a sudden, instincts took over. And as the buck got one step closer and another step closer and another step, I slowly pulled myself around the backside of the tree and started lowering myself step by step down the tree. And finally, the buck got right to the bottom. I dropped from the tree, wrapped my arms around his neck, pulled him to the ground and slit his throat. <laughs> and they all just looked at me. Their, their jaws dropped. Their eyes were huge. And I don't think anyone said anything for 20 seconds. They just stared at me like, who is this man? Right. <laughs> and then I just started to laugh. And like, gotcha. they, realized, <laughs> they realized I was full of it. But I was able to pull a lot of fast ones on these guys. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> Those guys are wicked smart, but sometimes it's kind of easy to, uh, they're very like actual, you know? So yeah. you, you great, start telling them. Great people. Great people. Lots of great people. Learned a lot. Um, but a lot of folks just came from very different backgrounds and had very different interests than me. So it was a good cultural experience, I guess I would say. Yeah. I was, I, I was half expecting you to say I was playing my third game of big buck hunter or something. <laughs> you know, what's funny is, uh, at the office I worked for, worked at for the past four years, I, I resigned uh, this past October from there. But um, you know, I was there for four years at this office, and just the other day, one of my old coworkers sent me an email, and it's a picture of Big Buck Hunter. They got the game Big Buck Hunter at our office now, and it had to be after I left. I couldn't believe uh, it. Uh, that's uh, a great game. I know. Yeah. Maybe I'm thinking maybe it was uh, maybe they missed me and they wanted a little bit of uh, Mark Kenyon back at the office. I don't know. I'm sure. <laughs> maybe, maybe they had that like in the workings and like. They thought that you'd be there for it and yeah. trying to get it there for you. Right. Just took too long. Yeah. So you go from Michigan to New York on an internship. And mm-hmm. did you hunt in New York at all? No. Um, I was just there for the summer. Um, but that, because of the fact I was there for three and a half months or yep. something along those lines, I was living in Manhattan um, in a little kind of cinder block dorm room apartment. It was kind of awful. And I was really dying for the outdoors. I couldn't do anything. You know, I couldn't be preparing for hunting. I couldn't be shooting my bow. Couldn't be doing anything like that. Right. And that was kind of when I got the idea of, of starting 
wired to hunt. Um, and so maybe that's something we'll talk about later, but right. that's kind of when I realized I needed a fix. I needed a way to release my deer hunting tension. Yep. And so that's what kind of spurred all this. Gotcha. Now you didn't try to take out any of the squirrels in central park or anything like that. I hear they're as big as whitetail. Yeah, no, they're tempting. Would have been good over a fire, but didn't, right. did not give into that. Gotcha. All right. So then you go to California. What about the hunting in California? Did you do anything out there? Yeah, same as New York. I didn't. Um, I was out there for, again, a relatively short period of time. Um, and this was the year year following that New York City internship. Um, so it was just really focused, again, on, on just starting my career. But right. this was during the fall this time. And so I'd started or I'd kind of been exploring this idea of doing something deer hunting related online the summer before. I yep. started this thing and kind of toyed around with it during that next 12 months. But now I'm graduated. I'm living in California. Again, it's like October 1st. I can't hunt. I don't know anyone who wants to hunt. Uh, the people I was you know, working with wanted to go to art museums. I wanted to go into the mountains. Right. Um, it just, again, I needed a, I needed something to get my fix. And so that's when I really doubled down and just pretty much became a hermit. I just would, I would work during the day and then I'd come home at night and I'd write and I'd do all these different things about deer hunting. Yep. And then when I got to come back in December, back to Michigan, that was when I, um, got back into it. Gotcha. Now, how old were you when you, you finished up in California? I guess I would have been, um, 22, 22. Gotcha. I think 22. So you're 22 years old. You're jonesing for a hunt because it just isn't happening as routinely as it would have if you were in Michigan, right? Yep. So you make it back to Michigan and you've already got this plan down for starting some kind of online hunting something. Is that accurate? Sort of. Okay. I um I actually started it while I was in New York the year before. You did. Okay. Um, but it was a very basic model. Um, I just kind of started this website, posted a few things. Um, over the next couple months, I posted an article or two, but it was mostly just kind of toying around with it. Um, but then when I got there to San Francisco, that's when I kind of went back to it and through some different books I read and some different things kind of motivated me and inspired me um, to believe that I could take it to another level. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, that's when I said, Hey, you know, this is something maybe I could really do, do something with. And it's something I would really enjoy. So, you know, from probably September of that was the fall of 2009, I think. Gotcha. From okay. the fall of 2009, I think I've worked on this website, writing something every single day of the week ever since. No kidding. Yeah. Now that seems to carry over today because I, I noticed that your blog post, your writing comes out fairly frequently. Yep. Um, every day of the week, Monday through Friday, we've got new content on, on wiredtohunt.com. That's awesome. So that's a decent amount of times from 2009 to, to now to, well, even, you know, three, four years of developing a following along the way. Yeah, it's uh, it's come a long way. It's been a lot of work, um, but it's been really satisfying and it's been a blast. That's fantastic. All right, so you're back in Michigan and you start hunting again. And what was the first hunt you went on when you got back? Well, if I remember correctly, um, it was in December, just before Christmas. And I hadn't been able to, you know, do anything like I would usually do in the summer leading up to it. So I didn't have any hunting spots lined up. Um, I had moved, you know, before, before graduating and everything, I hunted up on the northern, the northern part of the state at the kind of family deer camp. Um, now though, I relocated from California to an apartment or not really apartment. It was a rental home in the east part of the state. So I'd never been there before. My girlfriend at the time found this house while I was out there in California because I couldn't come back. So she found this place on Craigslist. She sent me pictures of it. Um, it was kind of outside the city, um, in, the rural area and it was on a 90 acre farm 
So I said, Hey, sounds good. Let's do it. So I just got off the plane in December and went to see this place for the first time. And luckily it was on this farm, like I said, and the landowners agreed to let me hunt. So I think I got there like December 23rd or it was either just before Christmas or just after it was just a couple days left in the season. And I just, you know, I, if I remember correctly, I think I took a pop-up blind and my bow and arrow and headed off to a kind of a corner of a field and a swamp and sat out there just to see what would happen and what I might see. And I don't think I saw any deer, but I do know it felt really good to have a bow back in my hand right. and to be sitting in the woods. It felt good. Just felt good. Absolutely. That's excellent. And what books did you end up reading when you're in California? The ones that inspired me to take the business to another level? Yeah. I think the well the I think there's a couple, but the one that stuck with me and that I still have on my shelf today is called Crush It by Gary Vaynerchuk. Um it's yep. a, a really, really good book about kind of following your passion mm-hmm. and building a business around it and how you can do that online. And uh, Gary is just a very, um, very inspiring individual, I guess. Yes. Who likes to swear a lot. <laughs> that too. <laughs> He's definitely in your face about stuff. He is definitely. He got, he got me off my tail and working. Hey, and it's funny you mentioned that book because that's one book. I'm more of an, an audible guy. Oh yeah. I listen like podcasting. I like to listen. Um, I like to read, but I like the activity of listening to a book. And that's one of the books that never leaves my audio or uh, audible queue is Crush It. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's a great one. I might have to check into this. Yeah, it's quite inspiring. Yeah, I, I get asked a lot about, you know, how can I get started or how can I start my own business or, you know, anything like that. And that's always one of the things that I point people to just to kind of get that kick in the tail to, to go after it. And the fact that it's possible, but it takes a whole lot of bootstrapping and a lot of work. It's not something that just happens. Right. Between that book, The 4-Hour Workweek, mm-hmm. and The Icarus Deception by Seth Godin. <laughs> Sounds like we've got the same reading list. I think we do. It's <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. We might be more similar than we than we initially thought. This is pretty yeah. neat. All right, so you're back in Michigan. Um, I'd like you to tell us, and maybe Dusty can kind of guide us through this, I want to know about your best deer story. Now, I know you told the guys at Google and gals at Google your best deer story. Obviously, that one you made up, but you did a great job <laughs> telling a story. I want to hear the uh, your real best deer story. Okay, okay. I can um, I can give you that, I think. Um, yeah, we, we want to get a little deeper on, uh, you know, obviously it's Michigan, I'm guessing, is going to yeah. be the lo- location. Tell us a little bit of the area in Michigan where you was at on, on a particular hunt that you're going to tell us about. Sure. Um, the, the particular hunt um, is so interesting to me and maybe to you guys because of kind of what all led up to it. Um, <clears throat> but this was in southern Michigan, um, very near to where I live now. Like I said, not too far from the Ohio border. It had been over the course of, of several years of hunting for a specific deer that, that led to this one day. Tell us a little bit about the weather conditions. Maybe give us a date of when this took place. Yeah, it was December 16th. And it was actually last winter. So December 16th, 2013, um, we had been getting snow for the past three or four days. We had a big cold front come through, I think, on the 11th. And we had snow every day from the 11th through the 15th. Um, really cold, if I remember right, probably in the 20s, maybe even the teens. Um, blowing snow, windy. Um, and I had been out each one of those nights after the 11th. Um, went out the 11th, had a good encounter, almost got um, almost got a shot at a deer. And then... On the 16th, the wind died down. It was still cold. There was probably four to six inches of snow on the ground and uh, bluebird skies. Bluebird skies. That's, that uh, makes it that much colder, it seems like, when there's bluebird skies and cold temperatures outside. 
It was chilly. It was chilly. Yeah, for sure. Uh, leading up to this, I'm going to get in a little more detail. How long have you been hunting this particular area? So this was <clears throat> this area was one of the first places that I started to hunt when I relocated down to this part of southern Michigan. Um, so it was my third season hunting down here. Right. And this is on this 90-acre piece that you found on craigslist is that correct so this is actually not that one I, when i okay, first okay. when i first left california they all right i moved outside of the city of ann arbor which is on the east side of the state right and then after being there for a couple of years maybe a year i moved then down to the southern part of the state about an hour farther away and that's gotcha. now where i live now and that's where this property was awesome how many acres are we talking coincidentally this well no one of the properties that hunt here is also 90 acres, but the property where this hunt actually took place was 110, I believe, but it uh, was nearly connected to the same 90. Um, this, really? this, there's one chunk that I hunt and I've got permission on several different parcels within this square. And I'd been seeing this deer on the main parcel that I hunt the most for the past three years. And then um, I ended up though capitalizing on that hunt on the other side of the block on the 110. Right. Get in a little bit more of your gear. Let's break down kind of what you do as a setup for your hunting in Michigan. Tell us a little bit about the landscape. What kind of trees are there? And Are you hunting in a crop field or where are you at there? Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, this was a, a unique setup, not what I would usually have. Um, but I had gotten some intel um, the day or a couple days before from a neighbor who said that he'd seen what he thought was one of the bucks that I'd been targeting coming out to a crop field next to his property. And that crop field, I had permission to hunt, but I hadn't hunted it barely at all that year. Um, and the only time I had hunted it, I had hunted different parts of it back in the timber um, with just a portable tree stand. So I didn't have any permanent stands set up. I didn't really have anything out there at all. So usually I've got a lot of different permanent stands hung up all over my different properties. Um, I'm usually, you know, 20, 25 feet up in a tree, um, you know, back tucked against some, some nice cover or something. But in this case, all I had to work with was I knew that this buck was coming out into a cut cornfield, kind of secluded, but it was a cut cornfield. And I knew that there was a kind of a big block of cut corn and then there was a big block of timber. And from, you know, what I'd learned in the past and what I knew about the area, I knew that these deer were bedding back in this timber. Um, but the tricky thing was that this cornfield was up on a hill that sloped down into the woods. So if you came up to the edge of that cornfield, you would be very easily seen from anywhere in that woods. So I was concerned that if I tried to walk in there, um, any deer that's bedded in this case, since there was snow, since it was late season, I knew these deer, at least the does would be bedded pretty close to the food source. So I knew that if I came over this hill, I'd get seen, it'd spook out of there and the hunt would be worthless. So right. I realized I had to kind of go outside of the norm and I actually crawled along the side of this hill on the edge of the timber on all fours, probably a hundred yards, give or take something like that. Um, so that I would stay below the line of sight. And then right when I got to where that hill started to turn down towards the timber again, because I was worried about doing too much movement, I didn't want to set up a ground blind. I didn't want to set up a tree stand. I didn't want to do anything to possibly, you know, show myself to these deer. Um, and it's also good to note this is during muzzleloader season. So I had a muzzleloader. Um, so I, like I said, crawled on all fours to just where this hill started to crest down. And I wanted to be able to see on the backside of this hill because this is where I thought those deer would be coming out. And this old field, there was a, what must have been from some guy, you know, 30 years ago had brought out an old office chair and an ottoman and he must have been sitting there and hunting on the edge of the field. Well, there's <laughs> now a, a rotted out ottoman on the edge of the woods. And so I just crawled up behind that, tucked my behind that in a tree and set up and uh, hunted right there on the ground behind a, an old footstool. Well, that's a very interesting setup for sure, you know. Yeah. 
that uh, <clears throat> it's amazing what uh, previous years hunters leave behind that be a makeshift blind for yourself in an awesome location. It's like they did the scouting for you. You just got to get to that spot and find it. Yeah, yeah. I, I put a tremendous amount of time and thought and strategy into where I hunt and how I set them up and everything. But it's funny how sometimes kind of going off the cuff and freelancing like this, you end up finding a spot and kind of work with what you got and it sometimes works out. Does the uh, background of like Google Earth, does that play a role in your hunting strategies at all? Definitely. I use Google Earth all the time to do digital scouting when I'm looking for new properties or when I you know, get permission on a piece. I'm using it all the time to plan out how I want to hunt, how I want to access the properties. Uh, use it all the time. That's, uh, a, that's pretty cool. Yeah, being employed there previously and, and you know, you, you got the insight on what Google has to offer as far as scouting and, and things of that nature. Yeah, it um you know, it's definitely one of the tools that I enjoyed the most that my former employer uh, put out there. Would you say that that's a, a definitely a necessity that you need to check into if you're going to be hunting a different area that you're not familiar with? I mean, if it's, I mean, I wouldn't say it's a necessity, right? People may do without it beforehand, but these days, now that it is available, I, I would never hunt a spot without first scouting it with Google Earth. Um, and so what I usually do is I'm looking on Google Earth, I'm picking out different things based on the terrain and topography um, that would indicate, you know, I think there should be some good activity here, or I think there should be deer bedding here, or I think they might be, you know, feeding here. So I like to kind of map out those potential hotspots. And then when I'm able to get my boots on the ground, then I'll go on there and, and focus my my scouting efforts on those spots that I already picked out as potential. And then I can confirm when I'm actually there, whether or not, you know, my instincts were right. All right. Absolutely. Let's get a little farther. I, I want to know what kind of gear that you have on. Obviously it's December 16th, 2013. It's cold out. It's four or five inches snow on the ground. What kind of gear are you wearing, at, putting on before you head to the woods that particular day? Sure. I use Sitka gear hunting clothing. So I had on uh, probably my my insulating layer, which would have been what they what they call their Kelvin jacket and pants, which is essentially a Prima Loft um, jacket and pant, real nice and warm. And then I had their Fanatic jacket and bibs over that, which is a pretty neat uh, hunting setup. Um, and then I'm, I'm, my, I'm, I'm gonna interrupt you. Say the name of your hunting gear again. Sitka Sitka gear. Can you spell it? Yeah, S I T K A. Like uh, like Sitka, Alaska. Okay, yeah. I just uh, curious. That's something I haven't heard of. I, Jay, have you heard that? I have heard of it. It's um, I don't know a lot about it, but I have heard the name and I've seen some pictures of it online. Okay, yeah. Something that's uh, that's a new uh, product to me. So awesome, Sitka. Okay. Yeah. Did you want? Yeah, it's it's very nice stuff. It's you know they came out um probably six years ago, give or take. Um, and kind of the philosophy behind it was taking the technologies and fabrics and products that were being used in mountaineering gear and backpacking gear and stuff that people were using for technical outdoor sports okay. and applying those technologies to the hunting arena because, you know, six, seven years ago, people weren't doing that kind of stuff. So Sika Gear came into the industry and they've been c- kind of creating this technical stuff. And since then, um, companies like Under Armour, um, First Light, a couple other companies have been developing stuff along the same lines, but it's really... Mm-hmm. It kicked off a trend, um, and it's some very, very nice stuff. So definitely, cool. definitely helps me out. Interesting. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, awesome. And it's uh, you know they they sell pretty much in different climate, different uh, attire for different climates and everything. I'm guessing. 
pretty much yeah. cover the spectra. Yep. They've got um, lines for um, different parts of or different types of hunting. So they have like a big game out west type clothing line. Then they've got a whitetail line and then they have a waterfowl line. And then for each one of those, they've got a different uh, a variety of different pieces that kind of develop your, your layering system. So there's stuff for early season. There's stuff for insulating the middle. There's hard shells for, you know, rain and precipitation and stuff. So you're able to kind of adjust your layering system based on whatever climate or or weather that you're hunting in. Awesome. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. And, you know, the listeners need to check that out also. It sounds like a pretty good product. Do you do any kind of spray uh, as far as scent cover or do you take a bath in any kind of soaps? Do you do any scent control before you head to the woods? I do. Um, I am pretty OCD about it. I do the... Um I do the scent-free shower, <laughs> scent-free toothpaste, scent-free deodorant, um, really? kind of the whole the whole nine yards. And then I wash all my clothing in scent-free laundry detergent. I keep it in a scent-free tote, which I keep outside in my barn. And right. um, then I go get dressed outside, and then I spray everything down with scent-eliminating spray. So I got all everything like that done. And then even when... I'm on the field. I also use a scent eliminating technology called Ozonics to um, eliminate even more. So I definitely hmm. take scent control very seriously. Right. As far as sprays, let's let's tell us what brand or product. Tell us what exactly you're using. Uh, yeah. It's um. Oh, geez. It's the Hunter Specialties um okay. brand. I can't, I can't remember exactly what they call it. Scent. Uh, I can't remember. But yeah, it's the Hunter Specialties it, brand. Okay. Is it got an odor or is it just uh, no scent at all? They have a, a dirt scent and like an autumn leaf scent, I think, but I just prefer completely unscented. So I get everything just scent free. Okay. Yeah. Right on. Awesome. So you spray yourself down. Is there anything else that you do in particular before you head to the woods? Oh gosh. Um, you spray myself down. I try to go through the checklist of like the 72 different pieces of gear that I have with me to try to make sure I've got them all. Um, and <laughs> inevitably you say 72, I mean, I'm exaggerating, but it seems okay. like a lot. It seems like a lot. Right, yeah. Um, <laughs> you don't really have a checklist, do you? No, this is my, this is my <laughs> mental checklist. Okay. All right. Oh, okay. All right. Um, and inevitably I end up forgetting something usually, but I try to remember everything. So I kind of go through that whole thing and then, um, and yeah, as long as I'm sent free and suited up and got my bow and arrow or my muzzleloader, and then I head out. All right. So, you know, I'm, I'm getting a visual. This I, I like because you're getting into some details on what you're wearing. You know, you, you, you got your, your riggings on, you got your checklist in your mind. You know, I, I can just picture getting ready to walk out, out to the truck and or out to the field and getting ready to go hunting. So we're, we're December 16th, 2013. You got your gear on and we're muzzleload hunting, you know, and I'm getting ready to head towards the woods with you. What time are we headed to the woods? Well, it was a little bit later than I usually like to go out um, because, like I said, I had hunted um, well, I hunted a, just a ridiculous amount this past fall. Um, I think this is like my, I don't know, 80th hunt or something like that. And so Whoa. It, it had just been That's um, awesome. I had just kind of gotten down on myself at that point. I had a lot of missed opportunities. I had missed a really nice deer um, five days or 10 days previously. So I was kind of just down and out. And I had hunted the past like the four nights before that. And so it was December 16th. I was sitting in my office writing. And um, that day I just was like, you know, what? I'm just going to stick around here and work. I don't think I want to hunt today. And my wife came in. It was probably maybe one o'clock, one thirty. Um, and usually at that point, usually if I'm hunting an evening hunt and it's, um, you know, in the fall, I'll probably start getting ready around 1230 or one. I like to be in my tree stand last times by like two, two thirty, something like that. Yeah. Um, but in this case, it was after one o'clock. I was just sitting, lounging around, drinking coffee, writing. My wife comes in. She said, why aren't you going out? And um, I said, well, you know, I'm just not feeling it today. I think I'm just going to try to get some work done. And she just gave me this look like, 
you're ridiculous. Like, who are you? Get out there and hunt. <laughs> Which you is, call yourself a hunter. Exactly. Exactly. So <laughs> get out there. <laughs> so God bless that woman because uh, I was like, okay, excellent. you're right. I like so, your wife. Um, mm-hmm, me too. <laughs> so I, uh, I think, you know, I don't, I don't remember exactly what time it was, but I probably didn't get out to my little spot. Um, well, first off, I probably got to the property in my truck later than usual, maybe around three or something like that. But then because of that approach I mentioned, um, because I had to crawl and and really, really was careful about it, it probably took me another hour just to travel a couple hundred yards to get into the spot. So I probably wasn't set up until maybe four, give or take. Gotcha. It's four four o'clock evening hunt. Yes. Awesome. Keep going. This is getting good. (laughs) This is getting good. So, um, like I said, I guess I'll pick up back at the truck as the truck, got my checklist, got my gear ready to go. Um, and it also should be noted, I also film, self-film my hunts. So in addition to my regular hunting gear, I also had a tripod. I had a big, great big camera. I had all that junk right. with me. Oh, wow. Before we go so, farther, I'm going to stall you out. Tell us about your camera gear real quick. We got to get this out there before you get to the woods. Sure what thing. You, what kind of camera are you running? Running a Sony AX2000. An AX2000. Highly recommended? Yeah, I like it a lot. Um, it's uh, it's more camera than uh, what a lot of guys need if they're just self-filming. Um, you can get away with a little, um, the nice HD camcorders these days. But if you're trying to take it to the next level and you're willing to and interested in getting into the manual stuff, manual right. controls and audio and stuff, it's a great camera um, for that type of thing. I know a lot of guys that, that film TV shows with it. Um, and so, yeah, it's a great camera for that kind of thing. Gotcha. So it's an AX2000. Yes, sir. All right. Awesome. All right. Get back into the hunt. Sure. So as I mentioned, I had to get to the backside of this hill. I crawled or I walked in their ways. And then as I'm walking, I'm thinking, you know, how the heck am I going to get back to the area where I know I need to be without spooking these deer? Um, sitting, you know, thinking through the wind direction and it was kind of the, the perfect wind for the scenario. Um, and at the time I, I knew it would be pretty good, but now in retrospect, looking at the situation, it kind of all worked out just perfect because where I wanted to be and with where the wind was blowing to, I was able to just have my wind cutting the corner of where most of the deer would be bedding or coming from. So I was able to get into this spot and have the wind blowing back over my right shoulder. And these deer were coming from my right, but I was just kind of cutting off of them. But when the deer were heading into the field, they still had the wind blowing across their faces. So they felt like they knew what was going on when they were heading into the woods, but they just barely missed the hunter that was sitting behind the ottoman. So <laughs> I, I love the detail. Yeah. You're a I good storyteller. You Very are, good. Uh, I'm right there with you. That, that's the awesome part. I, I'm literally like, we're crawling across this field right now. We're playing the wind. I'm right there. Keep going. I got it. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm crawling and, um, and I actually, you know, some of the people that follow my website, Wired to Hunt, probably know this story too well because I, I wrote a, a short ebook in detail about this whole hunt for this deer over the past three years, um, and put together like a 45 minute kind of short film all about it. So if there's anyone who's heard the story before, I apologize, but I was, uh, you know, crawling along here, trying to be really careful down low. There's a lot of snow. And at one point I was fiddling with a glove, glove fell off. I got snow in my hand now. And while I'm fiddling with all this, I ended up actually, again, I've got probably 30 or 40 pounds of gear and camera equipment, everything on my back. I actually tipped over and rolled down the hill a little bit. So <laughs> it's kind, <laughs> awesome. kind of a ridiculous scenario, but eventually I got to this spot. I kept fiddling with, you know, where can I sit where I'm not going to be seen? Um, but I also wanted to be able to 
be able to be sitting comfortably so I could have my gun rested up on my knees so I could get a shot and so I could film and move my camera on the tripod in front of me. Um, so maybe for, for another 10 minutes or something, I fiddled kind of going back and forth between should I sit in front of this tree or kneel behind it? So first I went through, I sat in front of it. And again, I, I don't want to stand up because I I'm right at the point where they could see me if I stand up. So I'm doing all this by crawling, kneeling, crawling, sitting, rolling over. It was If anyone had seen it, they would have thought I was uh, ridiculous because it was it was ugly but it worked um so i finally got set up behind the tree behind the ottoman and i had to sit or yeah sit on my knees the entire time um in order to to be able to sit because i'm literally on the back side of the hill still so if i tried to sit down i would fall over backwards so i'm I'm kneeling i've got the tripod with the camera just in front of me i've got my muzzleloader leaning against the small tree in front and uh i finally was settled and and ready to see what would happen Tell gotcha. us more. All right. Tell us more. So we're getting up to the, the the money time here. What happens next? Sure. So the first probably hour or so was quiet. Um, pretty day. Did a little bit of filming. Um, just kind of tried to soak it in, enjoy the moment. Um, like I said, I had missed a deer about ten days before, and you know then had hunted a few more five days after that through some tough winter or tough weather. And like I said, had kind of been down and out. And I got to this point. Now it's December sixteenth. I still hadn't killed a deer this year. And as I mentioned a little while ago, I quit my job last fall to focus 100% on hunting and writing and running my website. So I felt a lot of pressure on me this past year more than any other year beforehand. Sure. So oh, heck yeah. Given the fact I hadn't killed a deer yet, I was, you know, I was feeling the pressure and was feeling kind of down about it. But I had kind of decided at this point, you know what, forget it just enjoy it. Like you, you hunt because you enjoy the hunt. You love the outdoors. You love nature, breathing the fresh air, being in the quiet open spaces, like get back to that. Stop worrying so much. Stop stressing so much. Just enjoy it. Um, what's the point if you can't enjoy it? So that was the mindset I was in that night. Um, and I was kind of taking it all in. And then finally down to my right, which was to my West, I saw just some movement filtering through the timber and eventually, you know, pulled up my binoculars, saw that that was a group of does. And then over the course of the next hour and a half hour, somewhere along there, had a lot of does filtering through this timber. Some of them were heading due, um, due south, um, kind of cutting along the edge of the field. And then some of them came into the field that I was sitting on. Um, so I saw a lot of deer probably in, in total, 25 deer, 30 deer, something like that. Lots of does, excuse me. A couple of young bucks came out and um, and then probably 15, well, 20, 25 minutes before dark, maybe I saw a single deer kind of just inside the timber that was bigger than all the others for sure. Excuse me again. And pulling my binoculars on this deer. And right away, I knew I knew who he was. This was one of the bucks that I'd been hunting on this on this farm and another couple of farms um, and that I knew very well. It's a deer. Um, I dubbed him six shooter and uh, he wasn't the deer that my neighbor had seen the other day. It was actually a different one. But nonetheless, he was one of the deer that I was really interested in in getting a crack at. So he stepped out, but was probably 200 yards away. Um, and I had missed a deer, like I said, in Ohio earlier at probably like 150. And I told myself tonight, I'm not shooting anything long. You know, I got to just focus on getting a good shot at 100 yards or 120 yards or something. So I wasn't going to take a shot at him at this point. So I watched him and he kind of stepped out in the field and then was on the opposite side for me and kind of cut across and then went back behind uh, behind a hill. 
So I was like, great, saw six shooter again. That was exciting. Um, but he's probably, you know, going to keep feeding out this way and I'm not going to see him anymore. So already at this point, I'm starting to think through, okay, how am I going to get out of here once it gets dark without spooking him? That's what I was worried about. Mm. But now maybe five, 10 minutes go by. I see him again, but he's heading back into the woods. He cuts back into the timber and then heads due south away from me. So he was 200 yards away and now he's heading even farther away back in the timber. And at that point, I figured the, the hunt was done. It was awesome. I saw he's a five and a half year old Michigan deer, really cool deer, lots of history. So it was, it was great to see him. And I figured, you know, that was that. And so I think, gosh, probably at this point, it was just to the point where there's maybe five, 10 minutes of maybe 10, 15 minutes of shooting light still. But you know, when you're running a camera out there in the woods, your camera can only get good film, um, maybe up until 10 or 15 minutes of daylight left. And then it gets really grainy. So six shooter disappeared, heading off the other direction. I'm realizing, hey, it's getting pretty dark. I can't film much longer. And you know, there's a bunch of deer still in the field. And it seems like there's going to be a lot more deer coming in. I thought to myself, if there's any way I can get out of here now without spooking any more deer, without, you know, a big deer coming out and me not being able to get a shot, but still spook him, you know, I'd like to do that. So long story short, six deer disappears. Most of the deer move off. So I just decide, okay, I'm going to pack up my stuff and get out of here before I scare anything. So I packed up my gear. I put my camera equipment in the bag. I stood up, I set my gun against the tree and, um, and then I had to use the wilderness restroom and I had to use, uh, the tree. So this was probably, and this is kind of why this is such a great story because of what happened here. This is probably now 15 minutes since I'd seen the big buck walk away from me after, you know, all of me sitting there thinking about it, packing up, it's about 15 minutes have passed. And I stand up, take care of my business. And I look up and I see something step out of the woods right next to me, Hmm. like not in the field across where all these other deer were coming from, but from the same tree line that I was sitting in dark shape, walked out 40 yards away from me. And I've been messing around my camera equipment, messing around with all this different stuff, stood up, you know, making a racket, it seemed like. And I turn and look and there was no question about it. I mean, instantly I looked at this deer 40 yards away. Couldn't believe my eyes, but it was six shooter. It was the deer I'd been hunting obsessively for the past three years that I had planned and meticulously strategized about how I could get a shot at him, how I could make this work. Hmm. And then in this crazy moment, while, you know, you always see like a, the picture of the coffee mug of a guy falling asleep or a guy going to the bathroom and getting caught with his pants down with a big buck. Well, right. this was actually <laughs> literally happening to me. Um, this was it. This was this, happening. This was it. But it's, a, it's great. <laughs> but instead of what usually happens in that picture, the big buck seeing him and running away, somehow, you know, this buck stepped out. I saw him and I was able to reach down slowly. He, he kind of looked at me as I started to reach down for my gun. My gun was leaning against the tree. He was just slowly walking out. I grab my gun, start to pull it up real slowly. And he turns and kind of at this moment, we both like connected eyes. It was a really weird thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I probably make a bigger deal of it than it really was. But because I'd had this history, like knew this deer, it was just a weird thing. We like looked, I looked at this deer and I was like, holy smokes, I can't believe this is actually happening. I'd never been this close to him. Um, and he turned away just for a second and I pulled up the gun, rested against the tree and pull off around. And that was that. That's awesome. That's a great story. <laughs> that is a great story. So the, the deer was bounced, had bounced around 200 yards away, for, away from you at different ends of the field, and then just somehow appears before you. Yeah. 
I have so, no idea. Wow. I have no hard. idea how or why. Um, uh, if you believe in fate, if you believe in fate, this is one of those kind of things. I that's guess. it. Is, is there like a, a new Kenyan deer pee line coming out? <laughs> I'm not willing to sell off my own strain yet. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was what? it was crazy. I mean, for real, that's what an awesome. awesome story. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, that that's stories we dream to hear about right there, you know. And, and for it, me, it, it just felt like I was right there, and that's what it's all about. That's awesome. And it, if you don't mind, it actually goes a little bit further. Okay, let's hear um, it. Yeah. So I, I took that shot, but it, it happened so fast. You know, it felt like it was you know an eternity looking at the deer and him looking at me and me pulling my gun, but it happened you know really quick. And so I took the shot, and now it's starting to snow really heavy again. So I run. I'm like, I need to see if I hit that deer. Like I said, I just missed a deer not too long ago. So I was like, I need to see if I hit him. So I ran out there to, you know, 30, 40 yards away, wherever I shot him, and I couldn't find any blood. And for the next, I don't know, 45 minutes, I followed his tracks, could not find a single speck of blood. So the farther and farther and farther I got along the trail, the more I started getting really concerned. Like, how did I miss this deer? And the only thing I could think about was that, you know, when I came down on him, he was starting to move and I was trying to rush because he had seen me. He was starting to head back into the timber. I tried to get the shot. So I remember dropping my scope down, just getting below his spine. And, and I thought I'd drop down all the way to the shoulder before pulling that trigger. But now, when I'm trying to look back on it, I'm like, you know, maybe I didn't drop down enough. Maybe because he was so close, I actually shot high since I'm sighted in at 100 yards. Maybe I shot over his back. So I got really nervous, kind of got depressed. I didn't even get excited about, you know, shooting this deer. Um, so at that point, I was like, okay, I couldn't find anything. I decided, okay, I'm going to go back to the start. Went back to the start, couldn't find anything. Tracked another 100 yards through snow. Decided to go back one more time. And this third time, I think it was, that I went back there and was looking. And I finally just found like the tiniest little speck of blood, like a sand, like a little piece of sand in the snow. And then like a, another little tiny speck here. Just enough to tell me, hey, you hit the deer. So I decided, okay, I'm going to go back. And I had a buddy who has a tracking dog. So I'm going to go back and call him out here and have him try to help me out. So... Huh put a hat there, went back home. And I, I wasn't excited at all. My wife called me, asked me how the hunt went. I said, eh, I shot six shooter. She's like, well, aren't you excited? And I was like, no, I, I don't think I got him. Um, I was really bummed. So went home. I don't hardly remember tasting dinner, um, but eventually got my buddies out there with a tracking dog, brought them out to the spot where I found that little tiny bit of blood. And what ended up happening is I had been following his tracks. But at this point where I found that blood, I had went to the right. I thought I was following his tracks, but turns out I was following a different deer's tracks because with the dog, that dog turned straight left from this point. And as soon as we turned left and started following that track, all of a sudden, a little more blood, a little more blood and 100, 150 yards away, there he was. And it was uh, quite quite a moment for me after everything had happened and then not thinking I hit him. And it all led up to this crazy, crazy ending in the <laughs> middle of a blizzard almost. So it was pretty cool. Wow. That's awesome. What a great story. Awesome story. And well told, Mark. That's a, You are a <laughs> Thank good you. storyteller. That's awesome. I, I appreciate it. Sometimes I talk too much, but this might be the only time where it's okay. <laughs> we'll talk, uh, talk deer hunting forever. Uh, um, absolutely. Oh, yeah. So of all that, what would you say is your best hunting tip other than peeing in the woods and hoping for a big deer to pop out of the woods. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's kind of funny taking a quick step. I actually tested that theory again this spring with turkeys yeah. and it worked. No and it way. Worked. So, <laughs> but my best tip for deer um, and kind of what I learned from this year, I think there's probably two things. Um, one is don't try to hunt the hardest, try to hunt the smartest. I think this is something that's really how my hunting has changed a lot the past year or two. I used to be that gung-ho guy that tried to hunt every single time he possibly could, morning, evening, afternoon, all day, every day. Yeah. Whenever I could be hunting, I'd be hunting. 
Um, and I think I ended up hunting a lot of spots too much, put a lot more pressure on these deer. And because I'm specifically trying to kill older, mature deer, because I was hunting so much, I was really putting a lot of pressure on these deer. And I think that that hurt me in the end. So what I try to do now is I would rather sacrifice a lot of hunts and not hunt on days when the conditions aren't just what I want, when the wind isn't just what I want. If it's the wrong time of year, um, I would rather hunt a few really well calculated right days mm-hmm. and have those quality hunts versus a ton of low quality hunts. Because you know every time you go in there to hunt, you've got to balance the risk and the reward of that sit. You're risking educating deer. You're risking spooking a deer. You're risking leaving your scent there and a mature deer passing through an hour after you left and finding out that you were there. So I'm only willing to risk that when I feel like the conditions are lined up just right to give me a, a high percentage chance. So Gotcha. That would be my first thing is, is really weigh that that risk and reward and you know, be strategic and, and focus on quality, not quantity, if you're going for these older deer. Um, and then I think my second tip would be take action. And maybe this only applies to me, but there's probably other people out there like me. I read a ton. I watch a ton. I listen to a ton. All these different, I'm constantly trying to learn about deer hunting. I absorb an enormous amount of information about how to chase deer, about whitetails, how to do it. Um, but I think the natural tendency for a lot of us, and for me for a long time, was to take all these different ideas in, but you just kind of become addicted to learning. You get addicted to, to the information, but then you don't actually go out and apply it. Um, so I think what I've been trying to focus on, what I, you know, try to recommend to a lot of people is, you know, it's great to keep learning all the time, but then be sure to take something you've learned and then be very, be committed to taking action on it. Um, so, you know, think about right now, this, this off season of all the different things you've read in magazines or on websites or heard on the podcast, you know, find one or two of those things that you haven't done in the past that you want to try, write it down, you know, put a deadline on it or find some way to make sure that you commit to it and then actually, you know, do it, do the work, whether that's knocking on a door to get permission or whether it's, you know, adjusting how your tree stands are set up, or whatever it is, you know, find one or two actionable step, actionable steps that you can take and, and really, you know, commit to doing it. Find someone, maybe a hunting buddy that can hold you accountable. Um, I think that's a huge thing. I think people learn too much and don't apply it enough. So hmm. there's my uh, my spiel. That's awesome. No, those are great yeah, tips. Great tips for sure. Get, actually getting out and doing it instead of just uh, absorbing it. That's a, that's a great tip. Yep. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about Wired to Hunt a little bit. Your Wired to Hunt was what developed while you were in New York and California and you were writing and it became a blog, correct? That is correct. All right. So you, and you just, you wrote a lot about hunting and when did Wired to Hunt kind of take off? Well, I wouldn't say that there, I don't even know if it has took off yet, to tell you the truth. Okay. Um, Because it has just been a slow, steady rise. Um, There's never been like a, a day or a month or something where all of a sudden, you know, you know, MTV talked about Wired Hunt or Field and Stream posted about Wired Hunt and all of a sudden my right. traffic blew up and everybody knew about it. It was never like that. It's just been a slow, steady plod up and to the right for five years or six years or whatever it's been now. Gotcha. Um, so, I mean, every day of the week, like I've said, I've been writing new articles for the site. I've been working to promote it. I've been networking. I've been making connections. I've been sharing what I've learned. I've been talking about my failures. I've been talking about what I learned from this person sharing this tip or sharing my stories. And, um, you know, over the course of those years, uh, you know, eventually went from a personal blog um, as, as what it started in New York to in San Francisco. And I said, Hey, I could maybe make a business out of this. Um, but then for the first two or three years, I never made a dime from it. Um, it was just, and that was on purpose. What I want to do is I wanted to build wired to hunt up to a level high enough where I could, um, you know, 
where I could get interest from the types of brands and the companies that I really wanted to work with yep. um, because I'd been using their products in the past. I didn't want to be that website that had, um, I don't know, these random junky display ads for Joe's buck pee or something. <laughs> I, if I was going to have, if I was going to have an ad or if I was going to work with a company or if I was going to do anything, you know, to monetize the site, it had to really, really fit into what Wired Hunt was about. It had to really, really give value to my readers and it had to, it had to be that right connection. So like I said, three, four years, it wasn't a business. It was just building towards a business. Gotcha. Um, and then, you know, as I started building this following on Wired to Hunt, um, started meeting a lot of people within the industry, started getting connections with magazines. You know, I've started writing for a number of the nationally published whitetail hunting magazines, and that's helped. And, you know, now I'm got to the point where in October, like I said, I was able to resign from my day job and, um, you know, support myself 100% from Wired to Hunt and my writing and, and different things like that. That's awesome. That's a great, great uh, all-American business story where you can actually yeah. make a living doing what you love. That's excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Good for you. Thank you. Just trying to trying to work hard and, and do the best I can. So you turned the, blo- the, the blog into, you had a good following. Where did you expand? Did you, did you go from a, a blog, like a WordPress blog, daily writing type of thing into like Facebook and YouTube and all that stuff? Where did you, where did you start to connect the dots? I actually kind of started all at the same time. Um, you did. I kind of had a plan from day one that I've just been slowly working towards and expanding on. Um, I started a WordPress blog in New York, excuse me. And when I made that transition and started, you know, deciding to make it a business or to have the goal of making it a business someday, I bought my own domain name, um, moved over to a wordpress.org blog and put a more professional theme on there. And, um, at that point I created a Facebook page and a Twitter account and a YouTube account. Um, you know, when Instagram came out, I created an Instagram account. Um, and kind of ever since then, I've just been slowly building on all those different um, channels and, and mediums. But mm-hmm. the message has always been the same. You know, Wired to Hunt is deer hunting news, stories, and strategies for the next generation of whitetail addicts. And it's been that since day one. It's been uh, very fo- very focused on whitetails and for those that are, you know, seriously addicted to deer hunting. And every day of the week, you're either going to find something that's entertaining, you're going to find something that's educational, or you're going to find something that's in the news and relevant to, to you as a whitetail hunter. And so I've stayed consistent on that theme for five or six years and just, you know, steadily growing that voice and that um, the scope of who I can speak to. Gotcha. And as far as like your goals, you've gotten this to a certain level in that amount of time. You, where do you want to take it from here? Yeah. Um, I just want to... Uh, the dream would be, you know, wired to hunt to be synonymous with whitetails. And, you know, I think where things are going, obviously everything's going more and more online. Yep. So you're going from people used to turn to a book or people used to turn to a magazine to get their fix of their whitetail information or whatever it might be. And my hope is that, you know, every person out there who loves whitetails and whitetail hunting will know about Wired to Hunt and see us as a trusted community to be a part of online. And so that would be something where I hope it's, um, you know, across all mediums as well. So again, whether it's, um, you know, on our website, if you're reading or if you're on our YouTube page and watching our videos or now with our podcast, if you want to listen to it, you know, any way you want to consume your whitetail information, I want to be there for them. And I want, uh, I want to be that trusted resource. Um, and then personally, I also, you know, want to continue to build, um, you know, what I'm doing 
as a writer, I absolutely love reading and I absolutely love writing. Um, so I would love to continue my work with magazines and hopefully some books in the future. I'm going to, again, share my stories, share my experiences, help people on the way um, and see if we can all learn something together. Awesome. All right. Now, when did you incorporate the podcast as part of your as part of your brand? Yeah, that has been something I thought about for a very long time and wanted to do for a long time. Um, but while I was working at Google and trying to write for magazines and trying to keep the site going, I just didn't have the time to um, to take on an additional piece of the puzzle. So it wasn't until actually this March, I think, end of March, that I, we launched the podcast. Um, so I had said I was going to do it for probably a year or two and just never got around to it. This is one of those things where I learned all about it and I didn't take action on it. So I finally tried to take my own advice and, and put this into action. So did some planning and some learning and finally launched our first one, like I said, end of March. And we're gotcha. now on uh, recording episode number 12 or 13 this week, I think. Gotcha. All right. So episode number five. I don't know if you remember which episodes. I can't remember which numbers are which, but (laughs) (laughs) episode five is Whitetail Lessons Learned from Turkey Hunting. Ah, yes. Tell me about that one. Yeah. Well, um, we published that episode during turkey season, um, and I think this had come out uh, right after I had killed my bird here in Michigan. And um, I've got a co-host on the site or on the podcast, Dan Johnson, is one of my buddies, and he had just killed a turkey, and his wife had just killed a turkey the weekend before. Um, so it seemed like a great time to talk about turkeys a little bit. But like I said, I try to stay very, very focused on my core audience and our core message, which is whitetails. And so you know, I wanted to take a look at, you know, share some of our turkey hunting stories because a lot of deer hunters also like to turkey hunt. Um, but how can we take the things we've learned in turkey hunting or similar principles and, and apply that back to the whitetail woods? So we talked about different things like decoying and you know tips for decoying with turkeys versus tips for decoying with deer. Um, we talked about um, you know, being able to be running gun setups, different ways to set up on turkeys versus deer. Um, you know, we talked a lot about how I personally think that anytime you're hunting, um, no matter what species it is, it sharpens your edge that you can apply then to deer hunting. Um, I think, you know, dealing with the pressure and the excitement and intensity leading up to a shot, I think the strategic, um, the things you need to do to build a strategy to hunt an animal, no matter what it is, it all helps kind of work that muscle in your brain that then applies to deer hunting. And mm. so we talked about different things along those lines. Um, and I think, you know, share some interesting stories and a couple of good ideas. That's, I like that point. I think that's good. It keeps you, just keeps your skills honed in the field. I like that. Um, what's your setup like? And we talked about like the gear setup for your hunt. And I'm hoping that this show draws in some outdoor podcasters too, to help each other learn from our setups and things like that. What's your setup like in your studio for your podcast? Yeah, it's um relatively simple. I use an Audio Technica microphone. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember what the model is, maybe XR80 or something. That sounds familiar to me. Um, but I got the recommendation from another resource, which I can recommend. Maybe you guys are familiar with it, but Pat Flynn from Smart Passive Income yep. has got a really terrific tutorial on podcasting. And I basically just followed his formula to set this up. Um, that's a, a resource that I've you know found very helpful for all of my business um, dealings. But got this microphone, got a little windscreen in front of it, a simple um, mic stand, and I've got attached to my uh, MacBook Pro, and I record you know, interviews um, with either a guest or me and Dan talking through Skype, and I use Call Recorder to record those calls, yeah. and then I edit the podcast together with GarageBand, and then publish um, and host through Libsyn, which is a, yeah. a media hosting site. Beautiful. 
Yeah, that's good. And, yeah, uh, Pat Flynn. I, I, I think I got it all covered. I think you did. Yep, Pat Flynn's great. He's uh, he kind of yeah. points a lot of people in the, in the right direction on how to set up all kinds of stuff, not just that. Yeah, he's a um, uh, great help. Yes, very much so. Um, what tips would you share for other podcasters, like you shared for deer hunters? Yeah, jeez, oh, um, it's a tough one. Yeah, <laughs> I'm so used to talking about deer. I rarely get to talk about uh, <laughs> that's right. This stuff um, get you thinking. Yeah, I think at the risk of hammering on the same thing again, but it's so true. I think for me, podcasting, it was kind of, there was an intimidation factor. Um, you know, well, I, I got to figure out how to record it and I got to figure out how to publish it and how do I edit it and where do I put this stuff? There was always different variables um, that just seemed like too much work for me to dive into right now. And so, like I said, I kept putting it off, putting it off. Um, but, you know, my, I think my tip to everyone would be, you know, forget that intimidation, forget all that stuff. Just focus on getting something produced, you know, get a, follow one of these tutorials. Like I said, Pat Flynn has got a step-by-step tutorial, or there's another, um, another great resource. Cliff Ravenscraft has got uh, a podcasting website and podcasts and tutorials where he'll walk you through step-by-step exactly what you need to do to get started. You know, just, just go through that process. It may, it might not be perfect. You might not have the perfect setup, but just get something out there. Right. And once you start producing podcasts, you get the, you figure it out. It's not that hard. It's not that intimidating. You just need that initial setup and then you can start, you know, tuning what your message is or what your, um, what your show is going to be about or what, how you're going to talk. All those things though, you can't develop that until you actually start creating content. Right. Um, so it does no good to learn, 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 think about it and then never actually put it out there. So I think that'd be, that'd be my tip. That's a great tip. Kind of like finding your own voice. Yeah, and absolutely. It, it takes a while. It takes a while to find that. Yeah, and I'm definitely, definitely still working on it myself. Right. Yeah, and I think we always are, and always will be. Um, For sure. Now, as far as like directories are concerned, where is Wired to Hunt found? Uh, for the podcast? Yeah, for the podcast. So it is in the outdoor you know, sport, sports and recreation and then outdoor category on iTunes. And okay. iTunes right now is the only place where we are hosting and we're, we're sending our feed to. Yeah. So you can listen to the podcast right on wiredhunt.com. You know, we post each episode there. So you can listen to it in the player or you can subscribe and listen to episodes on iTunes. Um, looking at maybe adding um, the podcast to a site, an app called Stitcher and yep. then um, maybe SoundCloud. But yep. at this point, at this point, just to keep it easy, I've been on iTunes um, and we'll see where things go from there. Gotcha. I, I noticed that you did hit the the new and noteworthy. So congratulations on that. Thank you. That was Appreciate excellent. That. And that you ran right up to the top of the scale on the top 300 in iTunes real fast. Um, and speaking of the top 300, what do you think that being in that top 300 is important? I, you know, I go back and forth on this and it seems like a lot of us podcasters obsess about this, but I'm not sure it's important to be there. It's probably more important to have listenership, but it's always nice to see your name on a, on a ranking system. Yeah. It's, it's definitely nice to stroke the ego a little bit with that, right. um, but I think, um, to a point, it helps. Uh, and this is purely uh, subjective, but I think it probably is is great to maybe be in the top 20 or 30 or 50 maybe because you've got people that are going to head to that top list and they're going to do a quick scroll through there and see if there's some podcast artwork or a name that triggers with them. Um, but personally, I, I don't go a whole lot much further than that and pay a whole lot of attention. Um, so if you're looking for new listeners, that's a great way to get it is to be on that new and noteworthy or to be on the what's hot list or on the top, you know, maybe 50. But I think once you get into 200 or 300, 
I'm thinking not a whole lot of people go that deep and look for it. They're either looking at the the front page and the first couple, 10, 20, and then maybe they're going to do a search. Um, if specifically they're looking for information about deer hunting or hunting or whatever it is. Uh, so I would, you know, it's great to be at the top end of those lists, but I would rather focus my time on, you know, fostering your community and building that through outside means. Um, and I think as you do that, that's going to bring more people to the podcast. The more people that come to your podcast and enjoy it, the more folks are going to leave reviews, the more people that subscribe, download your podcast, and that in turn will help push you up those rankings organically and get you to the point where you'll be where you want to be. Gotcha. Spoken like a man that used to work for Google. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I do this too much. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. Um, Mark, this has been great. And thanks for joining us on the Big Buck Podcast. Yeah, thank you. And uh, love to hear you or have you come back. We're going to be tuning in to Wired to Hunt every episode that comes out. We do now. Um, just great content, great storytelling. It's uh, yeah, I love that you took your blog and turned it into an audio feed too. Because as I had mentioned before, I like to listen and con- to consume my content more than I like to read it. But both are top notch. So keep up the great work. Thank you. I really appreciate that. It's uh, it's been great chatting with you guys. I really enjoyed it as well. Very good. And if people awesome. want to reach you, other than going to wiredtohunt.com, correct? Yes, wiredhunt.com. Um, and then we also have a, a Facebook page and Twitter account. All that's, you know, facebook.com slash wired to hunt or twitter.com slash wired to hunt, YouTube page, et cetera. Um, you know, they can, they can see what we're producing there. And then if they actually want to reach out to me personally, the best way to do that is through the contact form on wired to hunt.com. Um, and they'll be able to reach me directly. And I read every email, respond to every email and, uh, always want to help if I can. That's fantastic. Thank you, Mark. It's been a pleasure. We'll catch you again. Maybe we'll even catch you in the woods sometime. Hopefully you won't be peeing when when you are. (laughs) Yeah, let's make sure that's not what happens. (laughs) All right. Thanks Thanks again, Mark. Take care. Thank you. Great talk. You know, I've not connected with a hunt more than I have with Mark's. You know, I felt like I was right there. We're going to get more into that in the future. This is this is just opening up a new book. I'm I'm wanting to close my eyes and I'm wanting to be on every hunt. And we're going to get deeper and deeper in every hunt, just like we do with Mark, and get people to tell the story better. That way, that you feel like you're there. That, yeah. That, that was a connection. I felt like I was there. I connected with Mark on so many levels. He's read the same books I've read. Um, he's watched the same shows I've watched. He's uh, he understands the internet. He understand. I mean, I just I connect with that man more than I I ever thought I would. And he's doing podcasting about hunting. I mean, there's just, I don't know. We're one of the same cloak. I think I just, I love his storytelling abilities. You know, I swear it's like, it's literally like you were a bug on his shoulder watching this whole thing happen. (laughs) That that was cool. And it was awesome. And thank you to Mark Kenyon again from a wired to hunt podcast. Learned a lot and just a fantastic guy. Keep up the great work. We're going to keep listening to your show next week though. We've got Johnny King part two. And this time, Jay Fish, thank you for doing part one. This time, we've got the man himself, Johnny King. Yeah, be ready for that. This is going to be an awesome, awesome show. And uh, we're actually going to set and listen to the Johnny King, to Johnny King himself. Tell the story about the, the world record King Buck. Yes, the hunt as it unplayed as Johnny partook in it that day. It's going to be, it's going to be an awesome show. It's going to be an awesome story. You don't want to miss it. Nope. Dusty, what is going on at Chubby Tines, and how can we reach you over there? Facebook.com 
forward slash Chubby Tines Outdoors. Submit your photos and get in. I've got a lot of stickers I'm giving away. Just got some new ones in the mail. Oh, nice. Check, check them out. Uh, they're flying out the door. I think I shipped out 25 over the weekend. Wow. How do we get one? How do we get a sticker from you? Yeah, I, I try to do some kind of little contest, you know, mm-hmm. some, something fun, something, a little activity that you can get involved with, whether it's like the sticker picture or submit a photo of something you harvested. It's just something fun to get in on a little contest, you know, and the stickers are always free and I mail them out for free. You win them. you got a sticker coming. I'll guarantee it. If it don't show up at your door, I'll send you another one. Nice. That's very cool. That's a nice yeah, giveaway. Yeah, it's, uh, it's fun. It's, it's a little something that uh, gives you a, a little advertisement for me. But yet, if you're... If you like Chubby Tines Outdoors, you know, you're, you're part of it. Right. You know, you're submitting photos. Big Buck Registry is the same way. If you're submitting photos, you're part of the Big Buck Registry. You know, you, you've joined the nation. That's awesome, man. Just awesome. So, yeah. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I've been seeing a lot of faces that uh, normally wouldn't comment or join in because may- maybe they're shy about clicking the like button or maybe they're shy about leaving a comment. Right. But if I can offer them something that would get the, that they want, you know, a sticker or, you know, we got uh, some, some good page sponsors, you know, shout out to uh, WR Outdoor Paracord and Eurohanger and Stickerman.com. They all joined me. And, uh, you know, I got some great uh, product from each and every one of them that I'm able to give away to the followers of my page. And I, it's more or less appreciation from uh, Chubby Tines Outdoors to you. And it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun, you know, and it's just it keeps growing and uh, we're, we're enjoying it. And uh, come over and check it out. Chubby Tines Outdoors. And uh, what Jay, what's going on at the Big Buck Registry now? Oh, man, we got so much going on. All right. So we're, we're approaching 100,000 followers on how, facebook how sweet's that man congrats on that thanks brad it's it, we're almost there um probably thousand left or so um it's been a great journey with that but what what i've realized is that it's it's more it's greatly important to share the content of the community so we're posting five bucks a day you know five bucks from people that have submitted them across the country and you know, we're in the summertime. We're still finding original pictures that have not been posted yet, uh, which is, kind of blows my mind that we can keep cycling through these these deer and we have not duplicated one yet. Yeah, that, that's that's awesome, though. Really, that's awesome. I mean, it's that, awesome that your your fans and your your friends are are reaching out and submitting photos to you, and you're able to post them five bucks a day. That's a lot of bucks every day. It is a lot, and it's kind of neat to see where the deer are coming from, what the, you know, the health of the herd. And just to think that there are that many out there. Right. What, what, go ahead. Just that it's a, it's just a, a indicator of how healthy the deer herd is in the United States today. Right. What, okay. Say, say I'm a hunter and I like your page. What do I do to get a buck on your page? Pretty easy. Um, you, there are different mechanisms by which you can submit a deer to the big buck registry. And we've created some special ones. The best one that I think will go the furthest is you go to www.bigbuckregistry.com forward slash my buck, B-U-C-K, and you'll find a page there and you fill out your information, your email address, your first name, and there'll be a place to attach a picture uh, or upload a photo. And we prefer to have a picture that is of you and the buck shortly after harvest and the things that we don't like are just, I mean, not that we dislike them, but the things that will definitely 
give you only 50% chance to getting on the, on the wall of fame, so to speak, is to send in a picture um, of a, not a large deer or be a deer that is not mature-ish. Okay. And one that probably isn't going to be a, a picture of you and the buck. So if you're not in the picture, you're, you basically cut it off by about 50% chance of being on the wall. And I'm not doing that to necessarily exclude those, but for those that we have so many that are following the rules, it would be um, uh, just not fair to everybody else that's doing it the way we want it done. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. You know, that there's a program for what you're wanting to, to post uh, for content for your page mm-hmm. so that, you know, you got kind of got a protocol of what you want. Yeah, we want a protocol. And the protocol is you and the buck shortly after harvest, uh, a name, preferably an email address or some kind of way to contact you if, if there's a reason and and the state of harvest. That's like the the big one that everybody forgets. But I want to know where the deer is coming from. So we kind of keep a, a bearing on where the deer are and how healthy the herds are and who's some who's submitting from where so you can do it through bigbuckregistry.com forward slash my buck or you can um, try posting it on facebook as uh, just a poster but we don't look there first we look there last so um, you can email it to j at bigbuckregistry.com or my buck at bigbuckregistry.com you can send it into just the general facebook mail that'll work too Um, but Best way, bigbuckregistry.com forward slash my buck. After that, uh, the the priority is always given to that page. After that, we we start to, if we don't get enough submissions, we'll start to go through the other criteria. But that's kind of how you submit a picture to the Big Buck Registry. All right. Now, when you have 100,000 followers and you have a very nice animal and have a great picture to boot, you will essentially become pseudo-famous for a day. Absolutely. Because you're going to be seen most likely by 30,000 plus people. That's that's phenomenal. That's awesome. It is. That's way awesome. Right. So if you want to want people to know that you shot a really good deer, send in a picture to the Big Buck Registry. Right. I, I'm thinking about sending you my picture again, just, just so that 30,000 people check it out. Again? I mean, how many, t- <laughs> how many times are you going to submit it? As many as satisfies my hunger for people to see it, you know? All right. You only you, you only live once, and you uh, you got to enjoy your life. Are you gonna like put a new name on it or something? Oh, this is this is uh, Bob. I might. <laughs> I will do that for you. I'll put a Chubby Tines back on the board to relive. I'll do hashtag Throwback Buck. That's awesome. I'm, I'm getting excited. All right, I will do that for you. So yeah, so everybody's gonna be famous if you submit a buck to the Big Buck Registry. And Dusty, I will submit. I will allow you another entry again. I'm honored. I really am. I'm like excited. You might bring a tear to my eye. I'm so throwback buck. Dusty's throwback. The chubby times buck. That's awesome. All right, let's do that. The other ways to reach us: seven two four six one three two eight two five. Send us a voicemail, um, or you can text in a buck to that number technically if you wanted to not a lot of people do but you could and jay at bigbuckregistry.com and our facebook page is bigbuckregistry.com forward slash facebook and our twitter is bigbuckregistry.com forward slash twitter got a lot of ways to reach us oh youtube uh, bigbuckregistry.com forward slash youtube so that's about it man i hope you enjoyed the show and man i am pumped to be back next week me too me too i'm jay scott I'm Dusty Phillips. This is the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. See you next week.
Can't wait. <laughs>